The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV, series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard called Monsters. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Sika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. Uh, folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt or phone case or mug by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. And you can see the des- the awesome design that we put up there that features the three of us and the Starship Enterprise. It's kind of fun. Stick around to the end of this episode. We're going to have some listener feedback, some awesome feedback. We got some really good stuff this week. And uh, we always, all the feedback is awesome. And uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called Let's Sign. Science. If you're a Star Trek fan, you're going to like Let's Science. It's wherever you find uh, excellent podcasts or at sqpn.com slash science. So, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this episode? Last time, Queen Agnes went out on the town for some Borgified fun. This time, we learned that she went into a bar and caused a minor disturbance. Seven and Rafi realized that she was after endorphins to build more nanoprobes to start assimilating people and build a new empire. But enough of that. This week, Star Trek Picard is doing Inception. So we go into the injured Picard's dream and see him having a Starfleet psych evaluation with Gaius Baltar. Gaius <laughs> insists he tell that he tell a story, so he starts telling a dark fairy tale based on his mom and his childhood, and we get a dream within a dream. Supervisor Talon uses her advanced tech to land in the lower dream, and eventually the two dreams merge together. When that happens, we realize that Gaius Baltar is actually Picard's father, Maurice. And it turns out that Picard has totally misjudged him his entire life because his father wasn't simply a monster trying to harm his mother with domestic abuse. Instead, his mother suffered from bipolar disorder and was off her meds. She refused treatment and Maurice was just trying to hold things together. At this point, Picard wakes up, but he and Supervisor Talon, who turns out to be a Romulan after all, both know that there's more to the story that Picard isn't yet prepared to face. Meanwhile, while Star Trek Inception was playing in the other room, Crystal Ball and Teresa have been advancing their romantic plotline, and he beams her and her son aboard the La Serena to show off, thus stepping on a giant time butterfly. (laughs) Picard decides he needs to contact Q in order to get more information about what's going on, so he contacts 21st Century Guinan, and she tries to summon Q, but it doesn't work. Instead, she manages to summon government agents, who saw it, when Picard first beamed into Los Angeles because 21st century surveillance state, duh. So the government agents raid Guinan's bar and arrest both her and Picard. The end. Hmm. The X-Files crossover begins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mulder and Scully. Or Voyager crossover. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, all right, let's, uh, let's dive into this one. So Picard in his coma, uh, in his dream, his dweem, within a dweem, marriage. Life is but a dream. Princess Bride reference. <laughs> Princess Bride. Um, a ship aboard a ship near the sun or a sun, we'll put it that way. We hear the, the therapist's voice off screen first. And at first I'm thinking, is that 
Dr. Bashir? Because James Callis yeah. and um, Alexander Siddiq, very similar. Is he going by a different name these days? I think he is, actually. But- well, it was Sadiq Al-Fadil is what he started, but he's Alexander Sadiq now okay. yeah. is what he changed it to. Um, yeah. Anyway, very similar they're, In British other words, voices. they're both British, so... Yeah. In yeah. American ear, it's the same guy. Well, well, they're, similar voice. Like, right? <laughs> they're, they're similar voice, but they're also similar in appearance. I know. At least, especially with facial hair. I mean, because at first I looked at him as like, even he's even wearing a DS9 style uniform with the blue tunic. Right. And I'm sitting there going, is that Bashir? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to figure this out. Yeah, you know. it was confusing. I, I, I immediately said, that guy is Baltar. Yeah. James well, Callis, yeah. who's awesome. I just love him in whatever he yeah. does. Why? Let's dive right into that. Why a DS9 uniform? Not a, a uniform of the current age, so, you know, the twenty, you know, twenty, the year twenty four hundred, whatever it is that, that this or twenty five oh one. Not a uh, Star Trek for uh, first contact era or later uniform, but this is that very clearly DS9 uniform that he's wearing. Why do you think it's that particular one? I don't know if there's a huge reason other than no, this is a dream. And so he's like still wearing his tuxedo from the super special right. chocolate fudgy, you know, going away party. Yeah. Um, but in terms of why his subconscious would pick that uniform, I would think because it was a particularly active period for him in his career. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, before, 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 before everything went to hell and Romulus blew up. Yeah. 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 Because you got Dominion War going on and things like that. I mean, that would be the more accurate way of saying it. Not so much uh, the DS9 uniform, but the Dominion War era uniform. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, with with a costume department, they, it's, it's a very particular choice. And I don't know if they just prefer, you know, I, we, I, that's my favorite costume or whatever. But they, they made a choice and they chose that. And so it's kind of interesting that they chose that particular one. Well, yeah. when they show Picard's combat sitting next to him, the one that was in the little tin, and it is the... Again, DS9 Voyager era, first contact era combat. Yeah, yeah. You know, not the not the old uh, round uh, TNG era combat. So, right. I mean, it it's, it it could have a lot to do with all that too. But now, with the particular the therapy, I thought it was very interesting how combative it was from the beginning. I mean, we find out why later. But there's this the the therapist is sort of disdainful of Picard and kind of you know, needling him and getting in under his skin and, you know, oh, interesting. The man who hates in closed spaces and spends his life in the infinite cosmos, but his only access to the outside is through holograms. Very interesting, you know. Uh, I, I I thought he was going to say the man who is afraid of enclosed spaces spends his life in a tin can in a vacuum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, essentially. <laughs> right. Uh, but Picard is definitely belligerent from the, from the get go. And we, we know why. Um, and, uh, I have to say, speaking of James Callis again as an actor, he always plays a great disdainful and dismissive character. Like, you know, he's just mm-hmm. like, it's just always great. He, he, it's, I mean, it's, he's almost typecast at this point to play this, that kind of character. <laughs> Who then turns out to be vulnerable. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, he tells Picard to tell him a story. So he starts, uh, once upon a time, there was a queen with red hair. She was female. <laughs> and uh, he says, storytelling is really not your thing, is it? And because obviously a queen is female, or at least should be uh, obvious that a queen is female. So they did like have female kings in Egypt, like Hatshepsut uh, was mm-hmm. king. She was not queen. Mm-hmm. Hatshets up and and similar female pharaohs were considered kings. There was a Polish female king too, Vadovich. Uh, uh, I forget what I forget it is, but um, uh, I 
saw that in the, the great video mm-hmm. game Civilization Six. They have a <laughs> there's a Polish queen, uh, woman who is a was a king for for you know obvious political reasons. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the the queen with red hair is his mother who's playing a game with the young Picard in the conservatory of dress up and painting. Yeah, and I had not previously perceived his mom as having red hair, so maybe that's part of the dress up. Yeah. Yeah, you see she's darker hair, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she tries to tell the young Picard stories that inspire him and want to be a great leader. Okay, the queen with red hair who tells him to look up. The queen who tells him to look up. Mm-hmm. Where have we seen a queen tell Picard to look up before? Yep. I have a yeah, feeling the that the whole queen. Agnes as the as the queen who showed up in episode one in the mask is a misdirection and that it's Picard's mom somehow becomes the Borg queen in that that we encountered in the first one. It could be. It also could be seven. But I doubt that. Mm, yeah, that would be that would be oh, that's a possibility, too, I guess. But um, yeah, uh, so that's that's. That's my working partial theory. Uh, that's mm-hmm. about, and that Q is bringing him back to discover this somehow for some reason. Maybe, but then, then they're going to have to explain how that all works. And because his mom ain't alive in the right century. Well, this, I mean, there, there was time travel involved, but, yeah. you know. Well, there's more to come possible. with his mother, too, right? There's, we we found yeah. that there's more to come. Uh, the other question that comes up for me at this point is where is Robert in all of this? His brother? We, his brother. Yeah, I know. They haven't mentioned him. Well, they did like the first episode that he'd been sent yeah. off to school or something like that. And that they the haven't car shown him. Spend time with him. Oh, yeah, okay. They haven't shown him. He's at boarding school. Oh, okay. All right. At least we, we've at some point acknowledged that he has a brother because that's that was not yes. a small detail in TNG. That was a big right. part no, of his character. Important. They, they important. had a mud fight. But yeah, but his reconciliation with Robert and then his death have played big roles in Picard's psychology. He and his his brother did their whole Gilgamesh and Enkidu at Uruk in the mud. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you've you've ever had older brothers, um, (laughs) and I had. (laughs) I haven't had older brothers. I've been the older brother. Oh, there you go. Yes. Uh, You were the one. Uh, So. It, it, so the mom and P- young Picard are in the conservatory and the painted, the monsters in the painted glass start coming alive and then chase them into the tunnels. Remember the tunnels that were important uh, mm-hmm. that are now lit by torches. Uh, and his mother is dragged off into the dark. So um, we have this, like you said, this inception style, it's a dream sequence. So the, the things are not literal in the, in the mm-hmm. sense so Talin's mind access device, I noted at this point, goes over her ear and it looks awfully like it, a Romulan ear. Very much so, mm-hmm. yes. And then they later reveal because she is a Romulan, she's just got a cloaking device over the top of her ear. And yep. in, in, in TV land, your ancestors can look just like you. Just like you. <laughs> Identical oh, yeah. cousins all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, they better do something with that like there's there better be a reason why they've made Laris and Tellen identical other than just we want to have the actress keep playing in this in the show and well I'm, it, it may I mean, not all the it may not simply be actress oriented but trying to force Picard on his emotional journey which mm-hmm. starts when he balks at the call of adventure when she tries to kiss him and he doesn't right right, right. I mean, all the soon, all the soon men all look the same, anyways. But still, <laughs> well, there's that too, right? Every, including the android they built. Every sung is identical to all the previous sungs, uh, who, yeah, for whatever reason. Uh, Talin now in Picard's mind dungeon. Uh, here's echoes of 
Picard from TNG, including as Locutus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's going on in his mind. Um, the the psychologist, uh, Maurice, wants Picard to say one real thing to escape. So he's kind of goes him. Say, just say one real thing. Reveal one real thing about yourself. Uh, and that's when Picard says, I'm stuck. And that is both literal and figurative in the past. He actually did as a boy get stuck when his mother brought him into the tunnels in her delusional state near dementia. And he, he gets his a, foot wedged in something. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's also emotionally and mentally stuck in this memory, in this time period, uh, which is what we're trying to get. By the way, I think that one of the reasons they may have chosen James Callis to play Maurice is because, precisely because of what he did on Battlestar Galactica, because on Battlestar Galactica, I mean, not just his acting, but his role mm-hmm. yeah. on Battlestar Galactica as Gaius Baltar was to be this weak guy who was exploited by the well no not he's not so no. much bad it's just weak yeah and mm-hmm. he's a morally weak guy that the cylons use to destroy humanity and thereafter he has a, a number 6 cylon constantly appearing in his head who says she's an angel from god which she turns out to be um yeah. but she's appearing to him as as a 6 and so she's referred to because she only appears in his head. Only he can see her. She's referred to as head six. Mm-hmm. And right. she looks just like the real six that betrayed, that mm-hmm. worked with him on Caprica, who is now known as Caprica six. Mm-hmm. And then in late in the story on Battlestar Galactica, and, and I should say head six serves to Gaius as kind of a counselor and a prod to push him forward in his destiny, but also to clarify situations for him and things like that. And so she does have this kind of counseling role. But then in like the third season, we get things from the Cylon viewpoint. And so now we're tracking Caprica Six, who worked with the real Gaius Baltar. And she is um, she's back on Caprica now. And all of a sudden we learn she's being haunted by head Baltar. Right. Yeah, she's right. got she's got a Baltar counselor in her head that's pushing yep. her towards her destiny and is also an angel from God. And Which and, and that head Baltar is so Picard essentially has head Baltar helping him <laughs> process his feelings and get toward his destiny. And it's 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 great when uh, towards the end, I think it was the last season where the where Caprica Six and Baltar end up meeting, they see each other's head. Yeah. So yeah. Six sees head six and Baltar sees head Baltar and they look at each other. You can see them? Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I wonder too if we if we cast James Callis because the fans who are, are undoubtedly going to be sci-fi fans probably have seen uh, Battlestar Galactica, perhaps. There's an mm-hmm. immediate reaction to James Callis as suspicion and mm-hmm. bad guy, and he's up to no good. He has bad motives. And then yeah. that's what makes the drama, the twist at the end. You know, the mo- he must be this this monster that we that the episode's right. named after and it turns out no that in fact he's kind of the good guy in all this i mean it, it's just, it is part of his of acting ability i mean he's got that stereotype of playing kind of the devious underhanded character but then he can do that twist of no everything you thought that i was being you know devious and and you know abusive and everything was really me protecting you and trying to protect your mom mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just like on battlestar galactica he ends up as one of the good guys Right, yeah. right. 
Um, he does accuse Picard of holding everyone at arm's length, which, you know, duh. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you know anything about Star Trek, you know uh, Picard does that. Uh, he accuses Picard of being obsessed with virtue, which is an interesting obsession to, to accuse him of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- th- those are both interesting. Uh, speaking of uh, Crystal Ball and Teresa, uh, that mm-hmm. they, when they go to the Las <laughs> Arena, you know, he she she's figuring it out that he's not from around here. Um, are you from outer space? And we get the great line. Oh, no, yeah. yes. I'm from Chile. I just work in outer space, which is gr- yeah. great. Call, <laughs> Call back that. to Star Trek search for whales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm, no, I'm, uh, are you, are Jill, Dr. Jillian asks Kirk, are you from space? He says, no, I'm from Iowa. I just work in space. Right. Right. <laughs> so and that, then, then, then of course you get him beaming her over her and the kid over to the ship, which is also a callback to Star Trek four where Jillian ends up, grabbing Kirk and getting beamed onto the ship. Yeah. But like you said, Jimmy, that's a huge bad no, no. (laughs) Yeah. I love, I love the little boy's reaction as soon as he's beamed on board and it's like, well, this is my spaceship. He like runs off the transporter pad and says, I'm going to touch everything. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So accurate. If my 11 year old was born to a starship, he would touch everything too. (laughs) I love it. They they, they materialize and she drops her coffee cup and he drops his spaceship and they're just both stunned. It would be me. I would be. (laughs) The kid recovers quicker. Like, I'm going to go check it. Yeah, like you said, I'm going to go touch everything. And she's just like, <laughs> what just happened? That, I, I got to say, I, I really like that scene. That was really good. Um, so. But it does. It does bring more of very likely Rios is going to stay. Well, either Rios stays. Or they're going to go. Or they're like, going to go. Like Jillian go. did in Star Trek yeah. Wales. Yeah. Well, now that they know that becomes problematic if they stay behind. So that that might be. A, they're, they're going. Although forward. I would be. I would be disappointed, though, because Teresa obviously is very highly committed to being a doctor to the, you know, the immigrants, to underserved mm-hmm. and so on. And for her to be able to drop that to go to the future, that kind yeah. of would disappoint me in the character Two a words. lot, actually. Three words. World War Three. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell her about World War Three and then she'll want to get her son to safety. Skip all yeah. that. <laughs> Skip ahead, Brother Maynard. Uh, that was a Monty Python reference. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the back to Picard uh, in you know in the uh, in the Inception, he remembers his father as being cruel and the monster that the boy remembers. But in fact, he was saving Picard's mother from her own demons. And in fact, the monsters mm-hmm. might have been. Coming from her mother, she was mentally ill and destructive. She yeah, took man. young Picard into the tunnels and almost got him killed. You know, so we've we are flipping in, things around. In, in fact, uh, Maurice says that if he if Picard if young Picard hadn't like dropped this thing on the way to the mm-hmm. on the way to the tunnels, he never would have found him. He would have just you know starved to death down there. Right, yep. right, lost or fallen into a hole or yeah, tunnels like that <laughs> can be very dangerous. <laughs> Um, so Tal- Talon says Picard uses his pain to save worlds, you know, that specifically she in in the vision after mm-hmm. the reveal, um, young Picard is hurting because his mom has been who is freaking out, is having a psychotic break, has been uh, uh, taken behind this closed white door mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. standing at the door as a little boy pining about what's happening on the other side of it, which he doesn't know. And Talon kneels down by him and says, you'll do so much with this pain. You'll save worlds with it. Right, right. Which is an interesting way of, of you know, that suffering can be redemptive. It can 
mm-hmm. it can become it, it's not necessarily I mean, it's suffering is bad, but what we do with our suffering in the future right. can be for good. And so this 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 uh, an interesting recognition in that. So I, I kind of like that. Um, so almost Christian. Yeah. Almost Christian view of suffering. I mean, really. Like you said, you redemptive. And I mean, we do use that term in Christianity of, you know, that our suffering can be united to the suffering of Christ for the redemption of the world, for our redemption, for the redemption of the world. So. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's, it's suffering can, can we, it's what we do with that, with those experiences that really makes the difference. Um, so that's, that's the, that's pretty much the whole inception uh, aspect of this episode. Mm-hmm. Then we get um, back to Queen Girardi. Queen Agnes, she uh, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, she goes to a club. The singer, the fe- the woman, the female singer in the nightclub is Patrick Stewart's real life wife, who is actually a singer. Mm-hmm. So that's her mm-hmm. and singing with her band. So that was that was cute. Um, that mm-hmm. was the first time she's ever been on something that Patrick Stewart um, does. Was so. a little bit younger than him. A little. Well, you know, Patrick Stewart is Just a little. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's the man. He's the man. He's a Hollywood star. Uh, Talon, like we said, turns out to be Romulan, probably an ancestor of Laris. Uh, and there's not much else that happens. Is there anything else to say about what happens with Agnes? I mean, you mentioned, Jimmy, that she's trying so, to get more yeah. nanoprobes. So one of the things I noticed is, and she's barely in this episode, but yeah. one of the things I noticed is they're trying to play in this series, they're trying to play assimilation as addiction, Right, to the mm-hmm. assimilation of the Borg Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the past, it's been portrayed as torture slash body horror. Now, originally, mm-hmm. the Borg, when they were first introduced, they didn't have any interest in, in humans at all. Um, in the episode where Q throws them across the galaxy and they first encounter the Borg, the Borg are only interested in assimilating technology. But then in their second appearance, which would have been interesting, but much less of a threat. So I think the writers made a good decision by retconning that to they're interested in assimilating technology and people because that makes them much more of a threat. And it opens up all this body horror possibility, which they then play out in Best of Both Worlds, where Picard is being surgically altered to be a Borg. And that's effective body horror and he has no independent will and so forth. And, um, and, and I think the torture body horror approach really works well for the Borg, but beginning with Star Trek first contact, they had where they introduced the Borg queen, they started trying to play assimilation as if it's addiction, um, which is a very different thing. And so you have the queen trying to like tempt data and grafting skin onto him and then blowing on his skin hair and stuff like that um, as a phys- to give him physical sensations that he can find pleasant and become addicted to. Mm-hmm. And now they're doing that with Agnes here where and they had Picard set it up uh, in I think in episode three, where they're first in Chateau Picard in the 21st century, and they're talking about hooking her up to the queen temporarily. And she says, what did you experience when they when they assimilated you? And he says, well, first thing I felt is this wave of euphoria. Well, that's not consistent with what we see in Best of Both Worlds, because what we see in Best of Both Worlds is they assimilate him and he cries, even though even though he's under their control, we see a tear rolling down his face as they're surgically altering him. 
And so they've reconceptualized assimilation as addiction. And I don't, I recognize what they're doing, but I don't know that this is the way I would play it. I would, I would, I would, I, I, because I think it subverts the Borg as, as, as the kinds of horrific villains they are. Mm -hmm. If they're, if, if this is really a form of addiction and they're all just blissed out, in the collective, that's completely, I mean, that's creepy, but that's completely different than right. if they are grabbing people and torturing them and uh, force and it, it's, it's the difference between seduction and rape. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I, I think they're more horrific played the other way. I wonder though, if it's more in the, in Voyager, they kind of played it as kind of both. Mm -hmm. They've straddled it mm -hmm. where, Yes, yeah. it's horror, body horror, they've uh, abduction, assimilation, uh, but it's sort of a Stockholm syndrome thing where right. e even though you've been liberated, there's still an element that still draws me back because there's something about that that I, even though it was horrible, there's still that connection that calls to me, um, like yeah. like drug addiction, I suppose, in some ways. But Yeah, S Seven talked about that where you know, several times throughout Voyager's run where uh, that there very much was that that desire for the collective mm -hmm. even still after this all over. So they, they really did lay the seeds for this in Voyager. They're just obviously have taken, like you said, Jimmy, they've taken it much further into that addiction side mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I even in board in, and I, I recognize that this interpretation is consistent with Voyager. However, my read, having recently been rewatching some Voyager, has been that Seven has essentially been brainwashed by mm -hmm. them. It's not like mm -hmm. she's jonesing for like it was bliss. Instead, it was perfection. And she's like mm -hmm. a not like they she's a little Nazi ideologue now. Right. And so she's been convinced because of their brainwashing that like Borgism is the perfect system. Like a Nazi might be brainwashed that Nazism is the perfect system and the individual doesn't matter. The overall collective is what matters. And so I t I take uh, Seven's early pining for the fjords to be um Monty python uh to to be uh de-ideologicalification rather than than coming off an addiction mm. at least that's how i i take the voyager text yeah so as you mentioned picard now needs to figure out why now that he's awake needs to figure out why this trial why everything he's been through, all the trials, because it's because as Q says, it's been one trial from the very beginning. He says that in the first episode of the season from from uh, Farpoint, why this is so deeply personal and urgent to Q. And he's, he's and that's an interesting take that this isn't Q just being playful and bored, but there's something there's an urgency to what Q is doing that he's been hiding. But there's a reason why Q has made all of this so personal to not just to Q, but also to Picard, right? This is all connected to Picard. Um, mm -hmm. And so he wants Guinan to summon Q. So they, they go, he goes back to the bar. She says that the, uh, the Elorians find food and drink sacred. Where have I heard that before? And <laughs> so they made a treaty with the Q continuum over a bottle of drink. Yeah. So the, um, so we get a little more, not a lot, but we get a little more backstory on on Guinan's relationship with the with the Q, and it turns out that her people in the Q have had a long Cold War, and I don't know how that would be remotely possible given 
the fact the Borg mm. could could uh, could could knock over the her planet. Yeah, the the Q. Q. no, no, yeah. no. The Borg could oh. knock over the Elorians. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. How can the Elorians be strong enough to be in a cold war with the Q? Right. Right. Um, and but they were, and so um, so they then made a truce. And oh, and literally over a bottle of wine, and th- and and that means that the moment this is kind of like an episode of Fringe they did, mm. um, where the moment of the treaty signing is embedded somehow in the structure of the glass that the bottle is made out of, and so through a special Elorian process, you can. Um, you can use this bottle to summon the Borg. And of all the Elorians in the universe, Guinan just happens to be the one with the bottle <laughs> on, on Earth. On Earth. It's not in a museum. It's not in a it's not in a, a state security vault on Eloria to protect the treaty. They apparently gave it to her or she stole it or something. But she's the one Elorian with the special Q summoning bottle. <laughs> And and that's to, it's like, OK, is she president or what? I mean, <laughs> who gets the hotline? Who gets the red phone to our biggest enemy? <laughs> right. Right. That was kind of a bit of a stretch or plot hole or. Yeah, yeah, they should have made it. You can use any bottle to summon right, it right. or to summon them or something. This is just an ability or, Elarians have. Well, and, you know, one thing with the Q. uh Cold War between the Lorians and the Q. The only I, only way I headcanon that. I mean, it really is headcanon because it's not mentioned anywhere in the plot. It's not anything that you've seen from Guinan in the past. Is just for whatever reason the Lorians have a special power over the Q. Mm-hmm. You know, and we see that where she does her little three finger, you know, claw thing to yeah. sense the Q in the TNG. Um, yeah, yeah, both in TNG and then in this episode. Oh, right. You know, but it, it's. It, it it's just it that's headcan. There's there's nothing that has ever stated that the reason why the Elorians are able to even have a Cold War is because of some power or some ability they have or anything. We just know that they have an awareness of the Q that no other species maybe, have. Maybe they're the the only species that are immune to the Q's powers or something like that too. Maybe they must have some offensive ability because when yeah. Q and Guinan first meet in Next Gen, they're like ready to come to to some kind of blows with each other. And, mm. and he, and Q considers Guinan to be a real threat. Yeah. yeah. So she summons Q, but he doesn't appear, even despite the uh, earthquake that uh, occurs. Uh, which, but it's which Los may, Angeles, you know, so. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> it, it also, they don't know that Q's powers have been malfunctioning. Right. But mm-hmm. that's a likely reason why it didn't work, is Q couldn't come. Right. Uh, so instead this other guy shows up in the bar and they think he's a regular guy and they're, they're chatting and he's like, I like sci-fi. Do you like sci-fi? And they're like, no, not really. (laughs) Which is, you know, a little, little, uh, fan service, a little nod. Um, turns out he's, uh, an X, an X-Files FBI agent, uh, who's in the credits. His name is agent Wells. Agent Wells. Okay. Um, I just really, I think there's like a lost opportunity to, to have Jillian Anderson or David Duchovny well, show up. I know we would have known exactly it. what was going on when we, if we saw them, but it just. But there's another possibility here because he's played by Jay Carnes, who played Duquesne on the USS Relativity on the Voyager episode Relativity, the one where Seven of Nine gets recruited by the 29th century mm. uh, time ship. 
And so he was the one that took over after the, the captain had been arrested for messing around in time. That in Voyager's would, timeline. would be a nice way to resolve this. If the, And I'm wondering, because he's going to be in the next episode as well, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. continuing this. And I wonder if it's going to end, if there's the... If this is just they are throwing again a little bit of fan service by casting the same guy, yeah. or if they're going to say no, actually I am this Duquesne from the USS Relativity in the 29th century, and, what the, and I'm here to cop stop you from screwing up the timeline. Yeah, and what the heck are you 25th century dude doing here in the 21st? Yeah, that would be very interesting. So he may be a time I, cop. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't know if they will or not, but it would it would be really cool if they did. Yeah, I think that would be such a cool connection. It, it would, and it would be a nice elevation it's it would be more fun than just another jailbreak we've right. already done that yeah and that's the weird thing is it's like we've already had you know getting arrested by the cops that was crystal ball you know yeah. like, instead of mm-hmm. i'm sorry it's just no no keep, to, it's keep doing it <laughs> no i'm apologizing <laughs> to the inevitable <laughs> listeners who are cringe every time we do that but i'm hey, sorry it's too good we, we referred to elnor as elrond the whole first <laughs> season and his his sister is drusilla and yeah. you know yeah We've we got, have fun with we've it. We've had yeah. emails. We have fun with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. another possibility is that he could actually become an ally of theirs to solve the time issue. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, and again, if, if they do that, I think that would, that would make it a lot more fun. It would, it would move the story. Because this was episode seven. We only got three more episodes left. Mm-hmm. They've got to resolve it and get back to the, the future. And, and there's no DeLoreans around, so they got to figure <laughs> out something. Back to the, future. the next episode, by the way, is called mercy they 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 mm-hmm. let us they let that one usually they don't release that till like monday before they usually don't and but this time they did earlier so i'm, I'm curious whether whether there was a reason or not but it might have just been their timing any last thoughts on this episode father cory you know is this was another one some complaints i've been seeing online including on our discord on our sqpn discord is that there's a lot of stretching of storyline and this one and we we complained about it as well last episode um well, you two did. And, yeah. Was that? Yeah, you two Father did. Corey and I did. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, and this one feels like they're kind of starting to squish the storyline back together, but there's still a lot of stretching, especially the whole Picard in his head thing. That it, it's still, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for them to get it going again, get really moving towards move forward. The, yeah. Move forward. Yeah. yeah. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jimmy. So my reaction to this episode, my big picture reaction was that it's not unpleasant but it's kind of slow. Um, and so this episode I'll complain about more as it, in some, it, it struck me more as filler than some of the previous episodes have, because it's got this massive, huge dream sequence in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And dreams can come in two types in, in fiction um, it, like this. Uh, one, they can be prophetic dreams that contain hints about the future. And those dreams are always very short because you don't want to give the audience too many hints about the future. The other kind of dream sequence is where you're working out a problem, like a psychological problem, which is what's happening here. And those go on for a long time. And and that the the problem solving dream sequence is one where which I just don't like. Um, because it's, to me, it's the equivalent of a car chase. Nothing of interest will advance the plot until we get to, to the end of this sequence. All of this mm-hmm. stuff about running around, it's, a, it's an action. I mean, at least car chases are supposed to be giving you action, you know, mm-hmm. while to entertain you while nothing is happening to advance the plot. 
what are you being given in dream sequences where it's a psychological dream sequence? Theoretically, you could be given a mystery, except the problem with that is it's never a good mystery because mm. the it doesn't obey real logic. It, it's using dream logic where anything can mean anything. And so it's not a good detective story. And as a result, all of this stuff with, we're, okay, we're in this fantasy environment. It's kind of Picard's house and it's kind of a castle and it's kind of a dungeon. And, and you know, and, oh, I'm stuck and I can't move on. And then it turns out I'm stuck physically. And it's just, who cares? Get to the end of it. Um, because that's the only important part where we find all the rest of this is window dressing until we get to my mom had bipolar disorder and my dad was just trying to help. Right. Everything, nothing nothing happens before that. It's all just, it's all just shadow boxing. Yeah. None of that has any lasting significance. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they, it's not like they deduce their way to this is what happened. It's not a mystery. It comes as a revelation. And so um, so it, because this episode had a massive piece of dead plot motion in it in the form of the dream sequence, I, I my notes, uh, for my very first note is not unpleasant, but kind of slow. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, I, by yeah, the way, I also have another note at when they get arrested, Picard loses his combat. So there will be right. more problems with that in the future. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I I was one of the ones, you know, with along with Father Corey, who thought like this, all of this, these middle three episodes have felt like they could have done a lot of this in one or two episodes. That that, that seems to have been drawn out a bit. Uh, as far as the, I, I do like the explanation of Picard's history, his psychology a little bit. You know, not too much of that, but you know, I, I like that. But it turns out these these two seasons of Picard have really been not Next Generation Part Two. These have really been shows of exploring who is Jean-Luc Picard, yeah. what motivates him, what what made him who he is. Or in and I think, I, sense, and I, sense, I think yeah. that's the plan. We spend yeah. the first two seasons of Picard rebuilding him to make him back into an action hero. Mm. And then we get next generation part two, the next next generation in season three. Mm-hmm. He becomes the six million credit man. Yeah. <laughs> we can rebuild yeah. him. Yeah. He is more robot than man now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Uh, I did promise some listener feedback, so let's get yes, to that. Yes, you did. I did, and I always fulfill my promises. So that's what I say. Brett Donahoe wrote on Facebook, so I have a question for Jimmy. Oh, I, okay. I have fallen in love platonically with your plot analysis, and honestly, your appreciation for science fiction has made me begin to watch Star Trek Babylon 5 and want to make big spaceship exploration-centered science fiction of my own. Cool. I've also been plugging your podcast to the Catholic Writers Guild pretty frequently. Thank cool. you. Cool. Yes. So my question for you is, have you written any science fiction stories? I could imagine you writing an awesome Romana Clef of Star Trek or Doctor mm-hmm. Who or even something of your own. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing, and I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to these podcasts. Well, thank you. Um, so I could give the Glomar response at this point and say I can neither confirm nor deny that I have written science fiction. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, in 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 fact, I have uh, I have not published very much of it. And what I have published was under a pen name. So it's it's not easy to find, although I am published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, which is considered the like one of the most prestigious ones. In fact, my my agent 
who submitted my store a story that I'd written to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, um, and they accepted it immediately and didn't ask for changes or anything. He said, this is almost unheard of to just submit mm. a story to this magazine and have it accepted on the first try. Nice. Um, but, uh, and I've written other things, including novel link things, but I haven't published them. Some of them for rights reasons, because they interact with other franchises. Um, mm. like one of the things that will motivate me to write a story is when I see, and I haven't written fiction in a long time because these days my energy is going into things like mysterious world because I'm producing a script a week for that. Um, mm. but in in the past, when I did have more time to write fiction, one of the things that would get me to write it is seeing someone else's work and thinking it's done badly. And so I would write a story to fix what was wrong with <laughs> the other story that annoyed me. And so I would like take the other story as, OK, this is what people experienced. And now here's what was really going on that fixes the problem. <laughs> right. And 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 because of that, it's uh, some of the things I've written have been tied up with other intellectual property. And it would be a big hassle if it was even possible at all to try to get the rights to actually publish something that recontextualizes someone else's story. Yeah. Um, in terms of a, an awesome Ramana Clef of, uh, of Star Trek, though, I would recommend uh, John Scalzi's Red Shirts. Now, it's got some non-family friendly content in it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to be upfront about that. But setting that aside, um, it is it is an awesome Ramana Clef of Star Trek. Um, and it has these it even has these appendices where like one of them, uh, one of the one of the people from the story talks to a Catholic priest in the appendix about what happened and what it's what would it signify from a religious perspective. And Scalzi gets it right. Mm -hmm. This is a various the priest in the appendix gives a very astute analysis of uh, of what would be the case if the story's premise were true. And I should explain for um, for um, listeners who may not be familiar with the, the literary term Romana Clef, what a Romana Clef is, is a story where you basically you're talking, it's at least based on real people or based on something else, like in this case, it'd be based on Star Trek. Um, but the names have been changed so that it's not just the same. And historically, people would write like literary authors would write novels about their friends and acquaintances and enemies and just mm. change the names which would then often really annoy their <laughs> their relatives and friends and enemies because it was pretty transparent who they were talking about. Yeah. It's like Citizen Kane is a Ramana Clef, partly of of um um uh, the guy who owns uh San Simeon. Oh um uh, Hurst. Her, William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. Mm. So Charles Foster Kane is partly a Romana Clef of or Susan Kane is partly a Romana Clef of William Randolph Hearst and also another American businessman. Mm -hmm. um, but there have been other uh, other Romana Clefs uh, or pastiches. Uh, that's another similar term, meaning a, where you honor what somebody did by doing something similar. Of Star Trek, and, but in but Red Shirts is really good if you can if you can set aside the the non family friendly parts of it, which are mostly just verbal. 
I have to admit, when you're mentioning Romana Clef, I was thinking uh, a story about the Doctor Who companion Romana. <laughs> That's, she's Ro- Romana Verat Rolandra. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Brett, I know you didn't uh, ask for, about my writing, but I actually had several fa- mm-hmm. Star Trek fanfic pieces that I wrote many, many, many moons ago, 20 years ago now. I'm looking at it. But if you <laughs> want to look at that, you can go read them at uh, betnet.com slash Star Trek, B-E-T-T-N-E-T dot com slash star trek um i have two stories that i wrote and you can tell me what you think cool uh all right and then we have some feedback on our last episode on the picard episode two of one the first comes from kelly on facebook who writes if you saw this episode with closed captioning around 13 minutes in there's a scene where the watcher reads mary sue picard's text messages the watcher then curses in another language and the closed captioning says it's romulan i don't know if this is a mistake Mm. but it's really odd now we know why, Kelly. <laughs> oh, wait, we know now. Good catch, good catch. She says, about Q's plan, I agree with the theory that uh, Rene Picard going on the mission is what brings about the bad future, and Q is trying to prevent that. Picard did say in a previous episode that the history of the time period was unclear. He knows that she will eventually have to go on a mission, but what if she's not supposed to go on this particular mission? What if this mission fails and she dies, which prevents her from going on a future mission? If Q is trying to change history by having her not go on this mission and thus cause the bad future, what's the point of bringing Picard back to try and stop him? Regarding Picard's flashback, I do not think it's entirely as it appears. I don't think it's domestic violence or anything like it. I think it has to do with their mission. There might be another time travel element to it, as we found out in this episode. Uh, So good call, Kelly. About Agnes's performance, uh, her singing performance. It was odd, but Terry Metalis, who's the showrunner, has used impromptu musical numbers as a distraction in 12 Monkeys, the other show he produced. Mm. Perhaps it's something he likes to do. Mm. So, thank you. Good. All good, good observations, Kelly. Thank you. An uh, authorial trademark, in other words. Yes, that's right. Mm. Uh, Deacon Bob sends an email, says, uh, Great podcast, as always. I was interested in the theory that Agnes might be the Borg Queen in the modern timeline. I, too, thought the writers might be headed in that direction, but wouldn't that end up in some weird temporal causality loop when the very thing we're doing was caused by the thing we did? It sounds like the grandfather paradox. It sounds like the grandfather paradox. Technically, this is referred to as a, as a, as the bootstrap paradox from pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. And I'd thought about this and the way that it would work, is it actually wouldn't cause a paradox. I mean, it wouldn't cause a, a contradiction. The, in the grandfather paradox, you go back and you kill your grandfather before your your father is born. Mm-hmm. So how could you exist after that? Mm-hmm. And and that creates a problem kind of paradox. But a causal loop paradox where um, where you you go back and cause the thing that happened later is um, doesn't generate a contradiction. And so even though it's paradoxical in the sense of, wow, that's weird, it's not paradoxical in the sense of that's a contradiction. And what would happen in this case is you have um, you have uh, the encounter with the Borg uh, queen in the future, if it's Agnes, Um, you have the uh, encounter with the Borg queen in the future where Picard uh, destroys the ship lead to everybody's death, except Q stops that from happening. And um, and so he lets the he lets at least the core crew of the Stargazers survive. And they then go back in time where Agnes becomes the queen. 
and then they stop whatever it is on. So on April, I guess this is I guess we're on April 13th now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They uh, they Agnes becomes the queen and they then stop whatever causes the bad future on April 15th allowing them to go back in time. But because Agnes was borgified before the divergent point on April 15th, that would still remain true if the writers want it to be true when they get back to the 25th century. And so it it would involve a causal loop paradox or bootstrap paradox where they went back in time because of the thing that they create that then causes them to go back in time. Um, but, uh, but it wouldn't involve any kind of contradiction. I mean, Star Trek has had these sort of temporal causality loops before. Yeah, like transparent aluminum. Right. And, yeah. uh, the Enterprise C though, that whole thing where, uh, they had to, they had to go back and die and that, all that sort of stuff. Well, and then they bring that up in the, uh, DS nine episodes with trials and tribulations yeah. where they go back in time to the trials and you got the, the temporal, temporal agents who are doing the interview and, of how many how many times Kirk has yeah. done that has caused <laughs> Luter problems? And Luxley, yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Muller and Scull, Scully and Mulder. Yep, yep. By the way, one thing I want to just mention real quick, Jimmy, you mentioned the 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 April fifteenth date. I was trying to think. They were. I wonder if they originally intended that whatever episode they show the event mm-hmm. that causes the split was supposed to air this last week, but because of the production mishaps and everything, because this last week was mm-hmm. April fifteenth. Yeah. And so I wonder if because of all the production issues around that wonderful virus we've been dealing with and everything else going on, if the schedule got shifted ahead yeah. to the point where that doesn't line up anymore. It could be. Well, we did see that the five that the five episode uh, glitch with, you know, the, the, the bump with the two halves of the discovery season and all that sort of weirdness mm-hmm. that they had going on. So, yeah, that might have been all part of it. I've seen similar things back on Fringe. They had the numbers five twenty ten were very significant, and they were clearly building up to an episode that was going to be released on May twentieth, twenty ten, and yeah. then that kind of went by the wayside. So <laughs> that's, that's the trick when you when you do stuff like that ahead of time. You you, you know yeah. you got to deal with the real world consequences. All right, so that's all our feedback for this time. Thank you very much. We love getting your feedbacks, and so be sure to send it. Uh, before we uh, sign off, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Thomas H., Marco P., John R., Keith C., and Kenneth K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We want to hear from you what you thought of Monsters, this Picard episode. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. You can send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord, where we have both a regular discussion area and a spoilers discussion area. So you don't have to worry about getting spoiled if you're not able to watch the episode right away as soon as it comes out on Thursdays. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Picard called Mercy. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I bet five drink Picard is a blast. <laughs> <laughs>